Hello, and welcome to episode 103 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Friday, November 11th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Pretty good. Happy Veterans Day to all of our service people and their families, which I always feel like is important to acknowledge. We have lots of service members in the family, both retired and active. So hi. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, thank you. It's a federal holiday, which I had forgotten about. (laughs) Oh, because, you know, nobody says, oh, you have a day off from painting. So yeah, it's a it's a Rogue Friday holiday. How about that? Very exciting. None you, of, none of my people have it off, so. How are you going to celebrate it? Uh, by talking to you. Aw, hooray. About all our wonderful things in On the Needles, On the Easel, On the Table, and On the Nightstand. So On the Needles, I have a finished object. Hooray. Socks, two of them, I guess, really, because I finished my Quartzonite socks, and they're very bright. And cheerful. I did not finish them by Halloween, even though they were my Halloween project, which was fine. Although I found it very difficult to keep knitting on them with my little ghosty stitch markers, even though they're cute, because it was November. It's not Halloween anymore. Over. Halloween done. Totally. On. I agree. But I, I made myself push through. And I was kind of selling it because the yarn is various shades of pink and black and a very little bit of slime green. So I was kind of telling myself it was birthday yarn as well because it's festive and girly at least you know i think it is although without the iridescent ghosty stitch markers it looks like brown and pink which is really autumnal i think you're fine yeah it was i i I found ways to sell it to myself yes (laughs) i did leave the ghost markers on though so that was kind of tripping me up but i made it through because i wanted i wanted to finish them so i could wear them because i really liked the yarn it turned out just exactly like I wanted it, which is always delightful. So the pattern is by Yvette Noel. The yarn is from the Lemonade Shop and their simple sock base in the colorway Frickin' Bats, which is hilarious. Totally. I was very proud I got to be a grown-up knitter. I, oh, where was I? I was in the car or at the theater or something, and I came to the heel turn, and I, I just remembered how to do it. I remembered what the stitch count was. And I just, I winged it. I was like, I think this is what it is. And I was right. And I felt very proud and like a grown-up sock knitter. So that was delightful. Well, it's only your, like, I don't know, 800th sock. Something like that. But I never, I mean, there are different kinds of heel turns. And your stitch count is different. And But it, it all worked out. It was great. I find the pooling on this yarn fascinating. So I did... 60 stitches around and it stayed 60 stitches except for when I was doing the heel and had the gusset and it gets bigger there but the rest of it the foot and the ankle are all both 60 stitches but on the cuff it's pooling so there are huge swaths of the magenta and then the light pink and the blackish and whitish parts but it's like a giant it's like a a wide corkscrew yeah so that's interesting so fun but then on the bottom on the sole It's practically striping. And I guess because of the lace pattern on the top of the foot, it messed with the stitches and just made the yarn pattern differently. And I find it fascinating. I do find it fascinating, (laughs) but but I can't even contemplate 
And I didn't, I mean, it's not anything I set out trying to do. It just happened. And it happened on both socks. So it's definitely, definitely how it's the stitch regular, count is It's a regular, regular thing out. for how the yarn was dyed. Yep. And I'm very excited about how the, the patterning, I chose it so that it would break up the yarn, the, the patterning on the sock. And it did that. So it, it just looks. It looks great. Super fun. And the pattern, that lace pattern on the top of the foot and the, the ankle mm-hmm. is, it looks kind of like a bat in flight. That I was mean, that was the idea. Yeah, it's a very geometric lace thing. And it was, yeah. I was trying to get something that looks like, like freaking bats. That bat wings, yeah. <laughs> so that was fun. And then I'm still working on my other two projects. I have the tea pullover by Hohi Locatelli in the machete shop Dirty DK in Eucalyptus, which is a lovely green with splotches of blue. I have finished both halves now, which is very exciting. This is the one that you knit each side of the sweater, and then I'm going to lace them together so you get this fabulous braided cable thing going up the center in the front and the back, and it's going to look amazing. I'm feeling better about the amount of yarn that I have, but I've gotten to the point where I now have to pick up stitches for the sleeves. It's not going to be that complicated, but it will take a few minutes of actually thinking about it and counting and paying attention to what I'm doing. I would also, now that I've had one more birthday, like to have bright light when I'm doing this, not doing it in the dark. So I just haven't had time to sit down and do it. Or when I have, I haven't had enough time. I'm hopeful that I'll have time this weekend to do it. But usually when I have time, I reach for the blanket, which is just super basic. But for the pullover, I was also very excited. More grown-up knitting. I realized after like two rows after I was supposed to uh, do a cable, I didn't. So instead of pulling the whole thing back, which was, a, you know, it's a goodly amount of stitches for two or three rows, I just dropped down and switched it, like cabled it on the fly and then pulled the stitches back up. Very exciting. And it was a little bit scary because it was right, the cables are right at the end of the row. So usually if you're dropping down, you have, you can see your rows of yarn because they're anchored on the stitches on either side, but there was no anchor on the one side. So it was just this floppy row of yarn that I had to make sure that I wasn't twisting, you know, like picking up on one stitch. And anyway, it was a little bit frightening, but I did it. It looks fine. Wow. And I feel like If it had been a regular sweater, I might not have bothered, but it was kind of right in the middle. So it would be very noticeable. And also you are using the space in the fabric created by the cables to do your weaving and braiding. So that would have, I guess I would have had a big hole, a gaping hole where my sweater will not come together in the future. The cables are not just decorative, they are functional. So it had to be, had to be done. But again, more grown up knitting. Very exciting. So that is coming along. And then, yeah, I'm making good progress on my Easy Stripes blanket by Joan of Dark, who I think has a new book out about Icelandic knitting and volcanoes and some sort of adventure story. Ooh. I don't know that it's out in the U.S. yet. I've seen the British publication date, so I, and I need to sit down and, and figure out what the situation, because that looks very interesting. But anyway, this is just a big blanket for boy one who is off at school. It's in Nitpicks Bravo Worsted in Current and Dove Heather, which is a burgundy and a very, very light gray. And then additional small stripes of Karen Simply Soft in the bone colorway, which I think actually looks like a very glistening, lovely gold. Because I, I realized, I kept thinking, oh, it's a Christmas gift. So I still have a month and a half. 
much, you know? And then I realized that he's going to be home in about a month. And my children, my family in general, are not generally aware of what I'm knitting. But I feel like if there was a giant blanket in his school colors sitting on my knitting chair, he might notice that at some point. So I probably should have it finished before he gets back, which significantly shortens my available time. And it is starting to get sloggy. And I don't have too much left, but the rows are definitely getting to the point where I can't necessarily just say, oh, I'll just sit down and do a row because that might take me, I don't think I'm up to 10 minutes or anything yet, but it's definitely, they're taking significantly longer. Might I recommend the new season of The Crown? Oh, yes. We've been, we've, can... we've been working on that. Don't you worry. <laughs> yes, my people are going out Saturday night, so I, there will be some binging happening and, and hopefully lots of either sweater or blanket progress we will see. Yeah, that might be more blanket knitting. We'll have to see about that. But yeah, so that, that is coming along. I feel pretty good about it. But it's, it's like, you know, knitting a shawl and you, you think you're going along so quickly and then all of a sudden... It just slows way down and everything keeps taking longer and longer. But it's looking really nice and I think I think it will be big enough by the time I finish all of the additional rows that I have to do. So Yeah, how about you any knitting? Yeah. <laughs> I ask as if I hadn't already asked. This is the woebegone portion of our knitting chat. So my friend Sally made me a new project bag. Oh. And I was so excited. Yeah. And I thought I should pick up my knitting and migrate it into the new project bag. So I picked it up one night. I'm smack in the middle, was smack in the middle of the brioche section. Like the worst section. I re-watched the instructions before I got going. Stephen West points out, at this point, you should be able to see that you've got your your columns are mm-hmm. are taking shape. Because it's two-color brioche. It's two-color brioche. So you should brioche. be able to see the... the it's so kind of like ribbing. I had two distinct problems. One was that my columns were not totally distinct, mm. and I didn't know if I had made a mistake, and I really couldn't tell. And two, even though they're the same gauge yarn on their wrappers, one is a little bit thicker than the other. Mm, yeah. And I didn't know if that was contributing to the problem. It shouldn't. I don't think One so. should just recede a little bit more than the other. Yeah. Is how it had manifested itself elsewhere in the in the shawl. So I thought, well, I'll knit for a little bit and see if I, my colors are lining up. And then I got going again and I I don't know what I did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I dropped a stitch, but something was off. And I didn't know how to fix it. You know, at this point, I'm a row is 300 and something yeah. stitches. And I was totally lost, totally lost. And I didn't have a lifeline in, but I was only four rows into the brioche, which is mm-hmm. maybe only two actual brioche rows, right? I think that's about where I was, given how much I took out. Ah. So I took it all the way back. And I thought I could take it back to the first row where I was starting to set up the brioche. Mm -hmm. But that was a row with a stitch and then five yarn overs. And it's like impossible to pick up yarn overs, you know, to put them back on a stitch. So I just took out the whole section and went back to more of a scalloped. I don't even know what it's called Hmm. anymore. Okay. 
So that's where I am. Mm. It feels like I took eight steps backwards. However, generally when I do this and I get going, I make myself finish the section so that I don't forget. And so that is my plan now. And now I'm just waiting for a time window when I know that I have like two days Mm. and can just do the brioche. Yeah. Which leads me into the easel. Perfect on the easel. So the easel stuff is super exciting. It's gouache vember, which I forgot to mention last time. And so I'm painting up a storm and I'm actually doing what Instagram wants me to do and making little reels. So my process is documented in these little video segments and I'm doing a voiceover because I've gotten accustomed to talking (laughs) and recording it. And so they're much more comfortable than they were in previous attempts. So that's gouache vember, really fun, great community, and it always yields some fun art. And then I have my series, Birds and Breakables. I was really reluctant to talk about that series because I didn't want to set up expectations for myself for a 2023 calendar. I wasn't sure how much juice I had in me to turn this into a calendar, but I'm happy to report after having my bivalent booster and annual flu shot and recovering from that for a few days that I took inventory of my birds and breakables and I am in great shape. And now I am eager to scan, build the rest of the calendar. I had built the skeleton for it and send it off to the printer. I'm hoping to do that by the weekend. Cool. And once that is off the deck, then I feel like I have a little cushion to do brioche over Thanksgiving. Yes. But I have to get my birds taken care of first. That makes sense. So one of the fun things that I did a little bit differently for Birds and Breakables, also in addition to not promising that it was going to be a calendar, I just wanted it to be good art. I didn't want it. I didn't want to think about, oh, this is December and this is March. That doesn't work for me. I just wanted to see how far I could push it. And then one of the things that is inevitably part of the calendar for me are the spot illustrations and... In years past, I had just put a bird on it, basically, or tucked in little food packaging or what have you, odds and ends from my sketchbook. And this year, I was much more deliberate, and I thought, well, if I'm doing all these birds, I should do some egg cups, which is a little maybe sinister if we're thinking about what you do with an egg cup, but it's also, you know, a throne for an egg. Yeah. Cooked, but yeah. So I've been painting egg cups for the little calendar spots. Oh, cute. And then I also thought that I would attempt some feathers. And so for each Mm. bird, I'm painting a single feather. And I have never really done feathers before. Interesting. And it's been so fun. I found two really great internet uh, sources for identifying bird feathers. The kingfisher has white spots with a green field. So much fun to paint. Wow. I'm really, really loving that. So that's the the spot illustrations are like the beginning of the calendar grid and the end of the calendar grid. And some months only have one and what have you. But it just allows me a little bit of versatility. And it's also so fun. Really, 
all I just need to focus on is painting what's fun to me and then it works out. I can't overthink this. Although I have that propensity at times. <laughs> so that has been my easel. Very, very satisfying, fun painting season. Excellent. Thank you. On the table. So it has been husband was out a lot week and then it was birthday week. So my cooking, (laughs) so much meat, but going back to a lot of favorites. So not a lot of new things. And then my child was sick. So we just like did chicken noodle soup, which actually was very exciting that I could just make that. So I've got a couple of couple of things to talk about, but it was a little bit of a struggle this week. I mean, it wasn't a struggle to cook, but the newness factor was not there. But I did make pumpkin cheesecake bars from 100 cookies because, you know, Halloween. And again, ha, huh, did not get baked enough. And I really thought they were. And, and it was tricky because it was the cheesecake part of it. So you make a lovely graham cracker crust with spices Yum. and whatnot. Delicious. That part was fine. Found gluten-free graham crackers. And then you make a cream cheese filling and a pumpkin pie filling and you swirl them. So it's all swirly and delicious. And then you bake it. And you bake it until it's kind of done around the edges and pretty solid. But then the middle is still a little jiggly. And I thought that was what I had done. And then you let it sit in the fridge for four hours or whatever. So it's, you know, it's like a cheesecake. And it was still pretty goopy in the middle by the time we cut into it. I mean, it tasted delicious. The two fillings were very tasty. And and we finished the whole thing. But yeah, I really need to... So it wasn't a catastrophe. It was not a catastrophe. It was not the perfection that I was hoping for. I really need to measure the internal temperature of my oven, I think is. It seems weird because I feel like other things that I make don't take significantly longer. Like other, not maybe not baking things, but... You Are know. you baking in a metal pan versus a glass pan? I think I'm using a metal one. I think you can raise the heat a little bit if you're using metal. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a conundrum, mm-hmm. but we will see. And then I pulled out Simply Julia because she has a lot of nice meat recipes that I like to make. Oh, I, I made the, the skillet chicken Reuben that you serve on baked potatoes. And I have found a way to kind of separate the two parts of it so that the whole family can eat it. But I found a recipe for stuffed mushrooms, street fair stuffed mushrooms in there. They are so good. You make them in portobello mushrooms. So it's more of a meal instead of an appetizer. And you're not trying to get your stuffing into the tiny little mushrooms. So it's much less fussy. You do have to clean out the portobellos, but that is not terribly complicated. So you saute some ground sausage, some peppers, red onion, add tomato paste, all this deliciousness. And then you put in a ton of, I think she calls for arugula and I had spinach, more or less same, same. Put a ton in and it because it's spinach slash arugula. Leafy. <laughs> it's all just disappears. And you do some breadcrumbs in there t- to stuff it, top it with goat cheese and bake it for a little bit. It was delicious. So I think we each had, I think I only, I only had one. My people each had two and I served it with a, you know, lovely green salad. And what did you do for Simon's? Oh, for, I, used, of, um, I used, I used a plant-based sausage. So it was a spicy one, you know, so it was not... It carried the mushroom. Yeah. And there was enough other stuff in there with the peppers and the onions and the the spinach and the breadcrumbs that it was less obvious that it was plant-based. So that was really very tasty. And obviously, I guess you could use the filling if you wanted to make fancy little appetizer ones, but it was a nice, nice dinner. 
Well, it's probably more civilized to eat one giant portobello cap with a sausage patty on it than it <laughs> is to eat a 100 yes. baby Bellas with a meatball of sausage in it. That's, I mean, it's portion control, really. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. So that was really tasty. And then I finally took one of her online classes, which I think she started doing during the early days of the pandemic. And she's kept doing them. Can access the whole library of them. She does them every Sunday, usually. I think it's two o'clock East Coast time. So it's 11 a.m. West Coast time. It's a whole meal. It's an hour and a half class. She cooks live. She sends you the recipes beforehand. So some people will cook along with her always starts off with a cocktail. So being that it was 11 a.m., I did not <laughs> do the, the, the either the cook-along or the cocktail. And this one was a happens-to-be-vegan Halloween meal. And so she was going with a, a black and orange theme. So we started off with a pumpkin spice espresso martini and then a rice pilaf with carrots and turmeric and then a black bean and tomato stew, roasted squash agrodolce, and chocolate chip pumpkin bread. So she does it so that all it's all done at the same time kind of idea. And she points out things like rice will stay warm for a good long while. It does not need to be finished right when everything else does. She gives lots of options for things. It was really fun. So I haven't actually made any of it yet, but I do want to try it. How long is it supposed to take from soup to nuts? I mean, she's doing it live for an hour and a half. That's awesome. So the whole thing. She said a lot of times she'll make the cocktail first. This time she did the pumpkin bread first because it needed to cook for a while. And she wanted to, to make sure there was time for that. So it's definitely easy hour and a half for a whole sort of, almost you know, kind of an entertaining menu for, I think, like four people or so servings. I am pretty good about... I don't know what this is called. I guess kitchen management and getting an entire meal done yes. within like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, yeah. all of the components. I think the missing element for me is the cocktail. And maybe that's why I forget to put the chocolate chips in the pumpkin bread. That could be. <laughs> could be. So, so it was nice. And then she answers questions because it's on Zoom. So you can, you know, type in your questions. Her partner, Grace, was there kind of facilitating it was really fun. And then she sends out an email after with their questions that came up or someone asked, what's your what's your baking pan? So there was a link to that. And again, you can access all of these on her website. I know the, the class was, I think, $40 and you could buy a five pack or a 10 pack. So I'm not sure what the just getting the, the old videos uh, would be. But there were a lot of really good sounding menus on there. So just some ideas. And then she's just delightful to listen to. She's super sweet, very genuine. I was watching it because it was a, this one was on a Saturday. I forget, I don't know, for whatever reason, it was a Saturday. So I was just sitting down watching it in the front room and Simon came and sat down next to me and was watching for a little bit. And he's like, who is this lady? She's great. I like her a lot. And so it's been very helpful to say, like when I, I think the next night I made the stuffed mushrooms, I was like, that lady that you like, this is her recipe. He's like, ah, oh, very exciting. That was enjoyable. And yes, I need to, I need to make the rest of the, the squat, the carrots. Like I don't like carrots generally, but the rice peel off with the carrots and the turmeric sounded really good. And the squash, like you, you roast the squash and then she has a, an agrodolce, which is sweet and spicy dressing that you throw on it, which sounded really nice just to kind of pep up your, your, your basic roasted squash. So there's definitely some things I'm excited to try. I'm all for pepping up. Yep. It's important to pep. <laughs> How about you? 
Oh, geez. Similar boat in terms of plain old kitchen fatigue, my vaccine booster kitchen revolt, <laughs> I guess, and the usual, the usual favorites. But I did have a conversation with a friend about deboning a chicken. Oh. And I have been kind of interested in this because we're back to roasting a single chicken because there's only the three of us. Yep. And that seems like a civilized amount of chicken for three people. But they take too long. And it kind of uses a lot of energy to cook, like roast a whole chicken. So I was thinking, I wonder if I deboned it, if it would go faster and mentioned it to somebody. And she said, oh, we just do the, it's ba basically spatchcocking it. Yeah, where that's you what I cut the backbone out. Used to do. Which I am perfectly comfortable with that because I watched a, a YouTube tutorial on how to debone a chicken and the butcher that I was watching said something like, you know, you do a couple hundred of these and you'll be, you'll be really comfortable. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do a couple hundred. I'm happy to like mess up one or two, mm -hmm. but if I can't get the hang of it that quickly, then... And his chief reason for deboning a chicken is to do those turducken things, you know, where you shove one into the other into the other. And that is not where I'm at. So I'm back to spatchcocking. I did see a good tip that said to... Sorry, vegans and people who don't like this kind of talk. To cut the skin along the backbone and kind of mm. cut back the skin so that you can preserve as much skin as possible mm. and then cut the backbone out. And I do this with ki my kitchen shears. I bought a new pair recently. Nice. I just cut the backbone out and then I really press down on it to get it as flat as possible. And I have a reasonable sized cast iron and then I have a rectangular panini press and the press part is very heavy. <laughs> and so I put a piece of tin foil on top of the bird and do the initial sear on the stovetop underneath the panini press and it gets a great sear. Oh, interesting. And then I never did that. So I do the breast side down while the oven is preheating. It takes about, I leave it there for like 15 to 18 minutes and then turn the bird over and put it uncovered into the oven and then it's perfect in, I don't know, 28 minutes or so. So it is much faster than roasting an intact-ish bird. Yes. And then I found this great parsley, garlic, and lemon sauce to deglaze mm. the pan and pour on top of the chicken. And we've had a couple of them since since we last chatted. And it's so great. It's so much faster. The cleanup is way easier because you're deglazing the pan. Mm. And I wish that it were easier to do it for four people when, when everybody's home for the holiday. You could. I never did it in the pan. I always just threw it in the oven to start. Yeah. Usually with some sliced onion and salt underneath the skin. So you get the flavor in there. And I would also often throw diced potatoes in the pan as well. So it gets all that chicken juice. Yes. So I haven't done this in a while, but that is how I do it. But you could, I mean, you could probably, like if you used a roasting pan, you could probably get two chickens. Spatchcocked in there. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. That's Which a would good work. point. And then even if you have some leftovers, that is not a problem. Oh, no. No. Never. <laughs> so that was, that was my, my little... Detour on deboning a chicken and then no. Yeah. Also, I have a grocery store where my butcher will do the spatchcocking for me. So 
that is. I've never asked them. I'm sure mine would too. It's just, it's not a, it's not Herculean for me because I have these new shears. Yeah. It is not difficult. It just, I don't know. Sometimes that extra five minutes is just enough to (laughs) kill the whole project. Absolutely. Okay. Then we had a kid home for a visit. And what he wanted was cheeseburgers. So I obliged and I also made a lot of chocolate chip and peanut butter, the pan banged cookies Mm -hmm. that weekend. And I don't know where they went. Totally vacuumed up. (laughs) And then this week I made a beef and barley stew for while I was recuperating. No real trick with that except that because I wasn't 100%, I leaned pretty heavily on the mushroom powder from Trader Joe's. Mm -hmm. I don't think I let the meat sear quite enough as it could have been because I just wanted to get back to the crown and being horizontal. And so I did have to do a little flavor boost. And I think I forgot to add, I usually do add some red wine right at the beginning. And so I added in some balsamic vinegar towards the end to brighten it up a little bit. I haven't made beef stew in years. It was great to add the barley. That's just so comforting. And I did do very finely diced celery, which I know you despise. Lots and lots of carrots, frozen peas. And I did end up cutting up like four potatoes because I probably didn't put enough barley in. It wasn't quite Mm -hmm. thick enough. And the potatoes completely did the trick. And so we've had that like two nights this week now. Oh, nice. Nice herbed focaccia bread. Oh, I almost forgot. This is going to sound crazy. After two weeks of cooking for these people, the real award-winning piece de resistance in the kitchen, I made croutons out of focaccia bread. Oh. You'd have thought that I saved the world. Yeah, I mean. (laughs) They were so good. (laughs) Not the herb. You know how they do like an herb slab? And that Mm -hmm. has a crust like all the way around. It's kind of crunchy. Focaccia bread is super soft and squishy on every single side, and it just toasts up beautifully in a pan full of olive oil and butter and Mm. salt and pepper. These croutons were so great, and I don't think I'll make croutons out of anything else ever again. I think I'm just (laughs) going to have to go with focaccia because everybody was just looking at me like I was a complete hero. So that was my table. (laughs) That sounds pretty good. I'll have to think about that. We're not big on croutons, which is sad. I used well, to love them. You're not big on, like, bread. gluten. Oh, yes. <laughs> Can you get gluten-free focaccia bread? Can we make gluten-free focaccia bread? Mariposa Bakery, I think, has it. Oh, and Peninsula, a new Italian restaurant, has opened all gluten-free. They didn't open until they got their focaccia bread perfect, and it is gluten-free. And the regular food reporter for this Chronicle wrote a review and she's not gluten-free and she went to check it out and she's like, yeah, this is great. You can wow. tell. So I have to plan a field trip down there. What is it called? No idea offhand. I will. Okay. It will be in the show notes in case you are local or visiting and want to, to check it out. But I am pretty excited about that because there was a really beautiful one that was not totally gluten-free, but they had amazing gluten-free pasta in the city, which has not been here yeah. for a while. We went there once for dinner and my husband ordered the gluten-free pasta and then we went to see a show and then we came back with Courtney and some other friends and he ordered another round of the pasta. And he made all of us try it and we were all like, 
yeah, it tastes like pasta. And he said, exactly. <laughs> he was so delighted. It was very exciting. What it was, was that? Really was good. that Bar Bambino? I think very it was. Very possibly, yeah. Yeah. That was good. Good spot. Long, Our- long since. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. But now we have a new spot to try. All right. On the nightstand. So somehow my books worked out just perfectly because last time we talked, it was right before Halloween. And I just hit all of these super Halloween-y books, which was just delightful. And I didn't mean to, but it, just how it worked out. So first one was an audio book, Wrong Place, Wrong Time by Gillian McAllister. Jen is a very successful lawyer. Uh, she lives in the north of England with her amazing, gorgeous husband of 20 years and their son, who is delightfully geeky and just turned 18. And he's been a little moody for the past couple of months. And now he has missed his curfew. So Jen is watching out the front window to see when he comes home. It's October 30th, 2022. So the timing on this was just spectacular. It just came out. She finally sees Todd walking home. Strange man approaches him. Todd pulls out a knife and stabs the guy. He's dead. What just happened? What are, why are you telling us? Because that happens in like the first okay. five pages. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, is the, this is how it opens up. I'm not giving away anything. <laughs> this is the premise of the book. Okay. Don't worry. Who is the guy? Todd won't say anything. He gets taken off to the police station. It's a very long night. Jen falls asleep. She wakes up. It's October 29th, 2022. She has gone back in time. She assumes she is there to save her son, stop the murder. But she can't figure out what she needs to do because she keeps going backwards. It's not like she can fix something and then she goes forward. She assumes eventually she will get to go forward once she figures this out it out but she can't tell herself what to fix so she keeps going backwards there's obviously tons of secrets you know she starts figuring out things she learns things about her son and her husband and her friend you know everybody so it was it was delightful i mean you know (laughs) as a psychological thriller is there was a lot of also good stuff in there about the mother-son relationship parenting she leaned a little bit heavy into the mom guilt um, like a working mom guilt Mm-hmm. at times but overall some really beautiful stuff about you know because her kid is 18 that's where we both are it's a weird transitional time and then she goes back and she mm-hmm. sees him when he's younger reflections on her marriage and her relationship with her dad and all sorts of things yeah so i really i really enjoyed it good twists and turns that you think you see coming but then you know you don't or at least i didn't the the narrator i thought did a great job it is the kind of book where I really wanted to flip back because like once something is revealed, you want to go see what the, the little foreshadowing was and go back. And obviously it's an audiobook, so you can't just do that. So if you are the kind of person who wants to flip back and forth, maybe get the actual book. Even an ebook would be kind of hard to, to do, but super fun. I very much enjoyed it. You know, a little bit, a little bit of spookiness too. So that was exciting. And then I read Marple, 12 New Mysteries by so many people. <laughs> Um, there are 12 short stories here, oh, it's 12 new mysteries, based on Agatha Christie's Miss Marple character. Some of the authors, Lee Bardugo, Alyssa Cole, Lucy Foley, Ruth Ware, 
So, oh my gosh, great. So all, yeah. So the ones that I knew, I was like, oh, fantastic. So I'm kind of excited to read some of the ones that I haven't read. So 12 Mysteries, Miss Marple is one of Agatha Christie's most famous detectives. She's a little old lady, single spinster, grew up and has lived in the same town, same little village in England her whole life. She knits. There's actually a lot of knitting in this book, which was delightful. So everyone dismisses her, doesn't take her seriously. And of course, she solves all the mysteries and murders because she's fantastic. These 12 women all got to create their own Miss Marple mystery. A lot of them took place in the little village. Some of them were in other towns in England. She also gets to go to New York City and on a cruise to Hong Kong. So it was it was great. I and mean, it was definitely in the spirit of Miss Marple without some of the very problematic racism and colonialism <laughs> that happens in the originals. Um, I started listening to and then there were none. And I was like, wow, mm. I, mm, okay, then. Fascinating. That one has a rough past. Yes. Well, I mean, there's the, the whole title. title. There's the title thing, but even just stuff in the, oh, yeah. in the books, I was like, that uh, was like, I missed all this when I was in sixth grade, but it is, it, it is yeah, rough reading. I think our kids read it in middle school yeah. still. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so this was just delightful. I really enjoyed it. If you're a Miss Marple, Agatha Christie fan, definitely check it out. If you want a cute little mystery and want to weigh into the, the Agatha Christie thing, I think this is this could be fun. Obviously, if you know Miss Marple, it's going to make sense, but there's no, no reason. Yeah. yeah. And then The Kiss Curse by Erin Sterling. This is the second one in her witchy romance series. She also wrote The Wife Upstairs and Reckless Girls as... Uh, I forget what her other name is. Anyway... She has two, two sets of books. <coughs> the Wife Upstairs is... Um... Is the Jane Eyre one, yep. She has her thriller ones, and then she has oh. her romance. Yeah, and she writes them under two different names. Rachel Hawkins. Yes. Yes. So this one, we are back in Graves Glen. It is a town powered by magic and by the magic of the Jones women. Guinevere Jones is our heroine in this one. Her cousin and her mom have taken off, so she is kind of the chief witch for the, the next few weeks. And it is October, so they're very, everyone's very busy getting the town ready for all the various October fall festivals. Most of the people in the town don't realize there is actual magic in the town, but there is a, a group of witches. So Gwen is busy running their family magic shop, and she's tutoring some local uh, witchy college students and an old friend has come back to town so she's reconnecting with her and then Llewellyn Penhollow shows up and opens his own magic shop right across the street he is her cousin's brother-in-law she does not like him he didn't come to the wedding who does that Ugh. so many shenanigans ensue <laughs> it's just delightful there is a talking black cat it is a super amusing series of books and I really Hooray. like him and you know it involved witches and it was right before Halloween so it was just perfection so I was very excited about how all that worked out as I was knitting on my my ghosty socks then I also listened to Wife of the Gods by Quay Corti this is first in a series about police detective in Ghana and it was I was just looking for something to listen to and it was one of those it's available so I thought that would be interesting. So Darko Dawson is the, he's a detective in Accra in Ghana. His family is from a small village outside in the suburbs. And 
when the body of a young medical school student is found out there. He is the detective chosen because he knows the local, I don't know if it's a separate language or dialect, but so he can talk with the, the locals more easily, still has family in the area. So you you get a lot of local culture. He is a very modern Ghanaian. Part of the mystery is that there's a local fetish priest with a bunch of wives, and he was kind of in a antagonistic relationship with the the medical student and they're trying to figure out how you know why did why was she killed obviously all the the things that are in a mystery so modern western medicine versus local treatments lots of good food talk it was very interesting the detective is a very conflicted character like inspector gamash is conflicted but he's also has this moral high ground that i think he is always in darko dawson is a little more hard to read. He definitely very modern, respects his wife, doesn't drink, believes in science, all these good things. But he also has a pretty severe temper, takes him a while to lose it. But when he does, he is pretty bad. He is not against using his police power to take personal revenge, likes to hang out and get high after a long day in the field. Oh boy! So it's very, it's very interesting. And I did like the mystery. I thought it was interesting, all the characters and how the solution I, I found to be satisfying. The way that it was organized, I wasn't in love with, and I'm not sure if it was because it was his first book or that's just his style. So I am. I think I will probably check out a few more of these and see how it goes, because there was a lot that I liked about it, especially the very multidimensional lead character, Wife of the Gods by Quay Corti. And then memory, uh, The Memory of Souls by Jen Lyons. This is book three in her Chorus of Dragons series. Magic, dragons, reincarnation, saving the world. All of it. All of it. So long. This one was 600 pages. Oh, my word. <laughs> so many characters. It kind of reminds me. It's starting to, to make me think of Game of Thrones, but without quite the darkness level that that one achieves. This one is very much you feel like the good guys are going to win. There's there's difficulty and hard stuff and so many adventures, but lots of characters, lots of side quests. You really have to pay attention to what's going on because things go back and forth and they flip between viewpoints. So in this book, our four main characters have finally gotten the band together. They were, they were all sort of separate in the first two books, um, and they accidentally have awoken the evil god at the center of their world. So now they are trying to put him back in his prison so that he does not destroy everything. Many adventures, very exciting. And I very much enjoy it. And I'm on to book four. It was interesting. This one actually read in book form, which was helpful because I realized that they have like a list of characters and terms in the back, which I never really had access to before because I was, I think, on Kindle. So that was kind of helpful because there are a lot of characters and some of them are reincarnated as their their uncle's niece. I mean, it's it's confusing. So, wow. But, but delightful. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you'd like a, a really kind of intense fantasy epic with lots of adventures, then this this might be something to check out. And then finally, On the Rooftop by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. This takes place in San Francisco, 1953, in the Fillmore District. There are three sisters, Ruth, Esther, and Chloe, and their mom, Vivian. The girls all have great voices, so Vivian has been training them to be a girl group since they were teeny tiny. 
They are the Salvations. They are getting a lot of notice in their neighborhood. In, I guess, probably the 40s and the 50s, a Black community grew up in the city around Fillmore Street. Businesses, clubs, housing, that's where everyone lived. And so the girls are coming really well known in the neighborhood. They're getting notice outside. And it is about to be time for their big break. And the girls start to question whether or not that's what they really want. So there's that. And there's also a background of the city decided at this point that the neighborhood was blighted and needed to be redeveloped. So there's a lot of conflict within the community as well that plays into the sister story. It was it was a fascinating book. Really great characters. Very interesting. And then, you know, a little part of San Francisco that we like to try and pretend didn't happen. So right. it, was, it was good to read about it and learn some more about that that community. Excellent. Yeah. That was a big list. Yeah. Birthday week, lots of ah. <laughs> lots of time for reading. I have four books for you today. The first one was a slim novel called The Lovers by Paolo Cognetti, translated by Stash Lushki. This is the story of Fausto and Sylvia, and this takes place in Fontana Freda, which is, I think it's an imaginary town north of Milan in the Italian Alps. It's a really beautiful book, mostly about Fausto. He's around 40 and he's signing divorce papers. And so he has retreated to the mountains to sort of figure out what he's going to do with his life. He finds himself at a lodge cooking and the waitress is Sylvia and they have a romance. And she is 27. And so she's in kind of a different place in her life. And it's this quiet interior convergence of the two of them and how they'll move forward independently and together. And, you know, translations are always interesting for what they reveal and what they don't reveal. And I loved this book as a standalone. I thought it was a really hopeful and well-constructed story, but the note at the end by the translator really clarified what was going on that I couldn't pick up on through the translation. So in Italian, te amo, I love you, is implicitly erotic. And ti voglio bene means I want good for you. And it's how you say, you never say I love you like te amo to your mother or your best friend or something like that. You say the ti voglio bene. And so that exchange when Fausto and Silvia were talking to each other, that was lost on the English translation. And so it just gave this even more heartrending, I guess it's giving away a little bit in the end to say that, but it's so worth the journey with them. I just want to appreciate translators for making this literature available to wider audiences, no matter what book it is. I just, I have so much appreciation for that. Then I read Songbirds by Christy Leftery. This is about Malaysian and other Southeast Asian immigrants working in Cyprus. Remember I read that book, The Island of the Trees by Elif Shafak, and it had the voice of the fig tree, mm -hmm. which I still think about, still am enamored with. That also took place in part in Cyprus, the part of Cyprus that was abandoned by both Turks and, and well, it's 
I don't really know. I don't remember the... I remember you talking about it. It was like the territory that they both fought over that is still, I think, to this day, abandoned. And so because there was that rift, they brought in domestic workers from other places, I think, to help with those lower wage jobs as as house help and nannies and that kind of thing. And so this book does focus on the immigrant story in Cyprus and the discrimination that they that they definitely feel and there are multiple perspectives from not just the immigrants but the Cypriots who they feel entitled to their domestic help and then there's a kind of a tragedy that happens a couple of the immigrant workers go missing and the police largely ignore the call from their either their employers or their friends to look for them and what all of that means in the context of this climate there. And then there's also this other train of narrative of songbird poaching. I have never heard of this. And as I might have mentioned, I'm a huge fan of birds. So this was one of the harder parts, one of the harder things that I've actually read about in a while is how they poach songbirds for, for like a delicacy. Oh. Uh-huh. I just, it was really hard. But the metaphor of poaching songbirds and like poaching immigrant help was not lost on me. Really interesting book, beautifully written and an important story. And it makes me want to go back and refresh all of that I mean, I at one point had read a lot about Cyprus and what had taken place there, and I'm overdue for a refresh on that. Then I read a kind of a puzzling book called The Crane Wife by C.J. Hauser. This is a memoir. This is based on Japanese folklore about a crane who returns a favor to a man, a farmer in a field who, who saves her. She uses this as a metaphor and as as a springboard in a couple of different scenarios. Like she goes on a birding expedition to watch cranes in, in the midst of their mating season. And she uses that to explain how she escaped from her near marriage and just the process of discovering her, her true self. I appreciate how she kept connecting either pieces of literature or popular culture or songs or songwriters, movies to help explain where she was trying to figure things out in her own life. And I think that that was an interesting way to shape her memoir. If you're a memoir person, you might really, really enjoy this. I struggled with it a little bit, but I think other people will get so much more out of it. The writing was really good, too. Then my last book is We Are the Light by Matthew Hauser. Matthew Hauser wrote Silver Linings Playbook, which many people might have seen the movie. This book is really hard and beautiful and difficult and fast. And it is a conundrum, if you will. Just so people know, this takes place in a small town and there is a shooting tragedy and it is pretty bad. The main character in our book 
knows everyone who died, has lost his own wife, and knows the shooter. It's a lot. You know, it's so difficult. This is an epistolary novel where he is writing letters to his Jungian therapist. That's a fun part of the novel is he really leans into the Carl Jung philosophy of of therapy and re- regression. And I don't even know anything about how Jungian therapists work. But now I know that people seek them out because it's a particular type of therapy. It is the story of his grief and his therapy and his triumph, if that can be said. And it is an important book. I particularly hate guns. I really didn't know that that's what this book was about. And I want to say that if you're like me and you're really sensitive to this, that part of it isn't super explicit. It is suggestive, but it is not like a finely honed narrative about that. It is more about his own therapeutic process, if you will. And I have to say, I really, if this can be said about a shooting book, I really enjoyed it. And I feel like it's an important book. And that is what I read this week. That's quite a little mix. Yeah. Lots of stuff. I truly, I truly only picked up the Crane Wife one because I love that Japanese folktale. Yeah. But it surprised me in some ways. Not all books are going to be five star for everyone. That's fair. No. And there's something to be had from everything. And I just, I'm full of appreciation today for writers and translators and other readers and librarians yeah all good Good stuff stuff. next time we're going to do our gift episode we're saying it now (laughs) so it will happen because the holidays are coming people it's no (laughs) it's true it's true and then in four days from now which will be already happened when this episode gets in your ears smitten kitchen keepers will be out And I know you all are waiting for it probably as much as we are. Totally. Very exciting. So that one we will probably be reviewing in the new year. Oh my gosh. (laughs) How crazy is it that we can say that? I may have had a little sneak peek and there may be many, many fabulous recipes that will need to be discussed. So good. Angry grandma. Angry grandma pizza. So until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.